0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: It's Sunday, July 21st. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. 200 million Americans try to beat record heat this weekend. Emotions may be hottest in Washington as the feud between President Trump and the four All Democrats known 80s, as the squad gets even more divisive.
2: Hey, Paul the people of our country and our country garbage. We're dealing with people that hate our country.
3: We are going to continue to be a nightmare to this president because his policies are a nightmare to us. And we are not deterred.
1: But the president's racist tweets have mobilized both sides. And Mr. Trump's refusal to condemn racist chants among supporters caused concern even among Republicans.
2: Those are incredible people. Those are incredible patriots. But I'm unhappy when a congresswoman goes and says, I'm going to be the president's nightmare. She's lucky to be where she is. Let me tell you.
1: How and will the two parties make an effort to cool things down? Our Major Garrett sat down with Vice President Mike Pence. I think
4: that millions of Americans share uh, share the president's frustration about sitting members of Congress engaging in that kind of reckless Uh, Rhetoric. The president thought it was important to stand up to them, and, and I'm glad he did it.
1: We'll also talk with Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney, a key member of the House leadership. Plus, 2020 Democratic contender Cory Booker weighs in, and we have a new CBS News battleground tracker poll that shows the shifts in the field of 25. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff will join us to preview Bob Mueller's testimony to Congress this week. All that and analysis on all the news is just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. President Trump is doubling down on his attacks against four Democratic members of Congress known as the Squad, tweeting this morning that he does not believe, quote, they are capable of loving our country. In an interview at Cape Canaveral yesterday, CBS News chief Washington correspondent Major Garrett asked Vice President Pence about those "send her back" chants from the president's supporters. Right.
5: Because yeah, the next one. Be were those chants appropriate? Her back! Her back! If you're unhappy with them, do you want to see them repeated? Is this part and parcel of the 2020 echo of the Trump campaign? It's seems well, a simple question.
4: Well, no. Major. The president wasn't pleased about it, neither was I. And the president's been very clear about that. But what we're also not pleased about is the fact that there are Wait, four you, members of Congress yes, you who know are engaging in relationship outrageous with his
5: supporters is as close as anyone has ever had in American politics. This could all go away with one simple word or a phrase or something. You have a chance to say it right now. Well, don't do it again.
4: Major, is that your message? Major, the president was very clear. Was he? That he wasn't happy about it. And that if it happened again, he he might he might he make an effort to speak out about it.
5: He will make an effort to speak. That's out
4: That's what it. he's already said. Okay. And I think that millions of Americans share uh, share the president's frustration about sitting members of Congress engaging in that kind of reckless uh, rhetoric, whether it be anti-Semitic rhetoric, whether it be referring to border patrol agents as running concentration camps. And the president thought it was important to stand up to them and and i'm glad he did it can you be patriotic
5: and oppose the president's re-election
4: of course but what these members of congress have been doing
5: those referring to our country as garbage that's unpatriotic
4: is it's unacceptable it's unpatriotic and president trump is going to continue to stand up for america and call out that kind of rhetoric by those members and it's time that democrat and leadership in congress did the same
5: but even as they say that they can stay
4: Of course they can stay. They're American citizens. But they're speaking their mind, and this president has... I think the president has spoken for millions of Americans who cherish our law enforcement community, who cherish support for Israel, who reject anti-Semitism. And every American on the left, right, center, Republican, Democrat, independent, who in their heart of hearts would never say the kinds of things about this country that these members of Congress are saying on a regular basis.
1: Major's full interview with the vice president will be available Tuesday on the Takeout podcast. Joining us now is the number three Republican in the House, Wyoming's Liz Cheney. Good morning to you. Good morning, Margaret. You heard the vice president say next time the president might say something why doesn 't the President, as a matter of principle, say unequivocally that non white Americans are just as American as anyone else why doesn 't he put this to rest
6: well, I think you 've heard him say that the chant was inappropriate we 've all said the chant was inappropriate. I he think also the said news they were media, patriotic I very think, patriotic. I think the news media really wants to make this about race. You just did it this isn 't about race it 's not about gender it 's not about religion. Um, These members of the House of Representatives, more, it's not just these four, it's also some of the candidates who are running for president on the Democratic side, Mm -hmm. fundamentally believe in policies that are dangerous for this nation. And as Republicans, we are going to fight against those, even if the mainstream media accuses us of racism when we do that. This is about their support for social... It is absolutely absolutely wrong. It should not have happened. We've all said it shouldn't have happened. Uh, I would really like to see the the media as focused the media is focused on the substance of what this wing of the Democratic Party is advocating because that is really dangerous for our country. Well, you understand Socialism the president tweeted dangerous. about this this morning, I right do. before I we do. went to that's air. that's right. So it the president is, is, is fundamentally this The president this morning, before we came on air, talked about the extent to which, uh, you know, they love this nation. And I think that if you go back and you look at many of the things they've said, you saw the vice president say some of that this morning as well, uh, talking about the nation as garbage, for example. Um, but, but I would I would, you know, again, Reiterate: This election and these issues that we're talking about are fundamental to the future of this country. When you have members of Congress who are as anti-Semitic as as Elon uh, Omar has been, when you have members of Congress who are advocating. Uh, the, you know, complete elimination of the use of all fossil fuels, all air travel, the elimination of private insurance, uh, the imposition of socialism on this country. We're not going to stand for that. We're not going to stand for policies that take freedom away from Mm -hmm. the American people. That's what this fight is about. But
1: what you're talking about, there are policy differences. That's That's right. That's what the president was tweeting about this morning. Uh, Listen, I think he said, I don't believe the four congresswomen are capable of loving our country. I know you disagree with their policies and politics. You just made that clear but there've been death threats against congresswoman Ilhan Omar in Margaret, april there Margaret, was an arrest listen, because someone called Margaret, her office and said no listen, asked if she was a member there are a of the lot of secu- are you going to let me answer in, your question i'm Margaret. asking the question. i
6: i got the a question bullet in, first there, first are, there are there uh, are fundamentally uh, this is this is a moment where um, we have to be very clear, and and it's really important for us to focus on. And, and I know you guys don't want to. You don't want to focus on the fact that there are substantive differences. You also don't want to focus on the. But, but I, let me. I let you ask me the question. <laughs> this is about. But that's how the president is talking is about. Is, he's been talking is about the president every single day talks about policy. Are every are they single day. Or loving Every country? single day, this president talks about the tremendous economic growth that we have seen since he's been in office. The tremendous job growth. The tremendous capable decline of in unemployment. Our Country has nothing Margaret, to do with jobs. Uh, you are you making my point. That you are making my point for me right now. We are, are you agreeing focused on. with the president on or disagree with them? Because I'm not clear. The president has absolutely said that they should not have chanted "send her back." Uh, our concern and our uh, opposition to what these women are saying and many other members of the Democratic Party in the House representatives has to do with the fact that they are advocating policies that will destroy this nation. And we will fight against it. And I think the news media, you included, ought to cover the substance. And I think it is outrageous for you to say the president doesn't talk about substance. Every single day you can look at the evidence. You can look at the fact that this nation is stronger uh, than than it has probably ever been. You can look at what the president's policies have done on economic Mm -hmm. growth. Uh, but you don't want to talk about that. So I do think that it. Would we would be, love to talk you. about that. And you have every opportunity every about that. single day. The president this morning
1: tweeted that they don't love their country. Uh, you've made that point. Mark. The rest yes. of the world is also watching this, though. That's right. Um, Canada's prime minister said the comments made were hurtful, wrong, completely unacceptable. Germany's chancellor said these sentiments are in opposition to her impressions about the U.S., and she expressed solidarity, in her words, with the attacked women. The prime minister of the U.K. issued a statement condemning this of New Zealand. These aren't members of the media. These are world leaders. Should Americans find the comments from the president acceptable? Margaret. Listen.
6: I know you want to continue to talk about this as though it had to do with race. I know you want to continue to talk about it you as though think it
1: had, all those world leaders Margaret, I misunderstood. I just let you. I just let everything? you go through.
6: Look, I don't think the American people are going to look to foreign leaders to tell us who should lead the nation. They're not going to look to foreign leaders to tell us whether or not we should be a socialist country. Thank goodness we won't do that. We depend upon those people who are elected. And I think that when you see the the Democratic members of Congress uh, standing up and saying that they want to, you know, that that we have concentration Mm -hmm. camps on our borders, that they want to provide free health care for illegal immigrants, that they want to end private health insurance, that they want to impose socialism on this country, they need to defend those policy positions. And we are going to take every opportunity to make sure the American people, who are the ones that are going to make this choice uh, come Mm -hmm. November 2020 recognize the fundamental choice that we're all facing.
1: I want to get to you on Iran, but I just do want to point out that there are two black elected Republicans who said that this was racially insensitive. And another Republican, Mark Walker, said it was painful. that's not the media, Excuse me, but on Iran.
6: Listen, you just continue to sort of put these little points out there and then move on. And every time you do it, you are making the point I'm making. As Republicans, we are focused on substance. We are focused on policy. And we will continue to do that no matter what the major mainstream media attempts to do.
1: All right. Unfortunately, now we don't have time to talk about Iran. But well, thank you should very have much. asked about Iran sooner because that's a policy issue. I would love to. If the president Great. tweets about it, we certainly will, because I know you uh, have He has tweeted about Iran, Actually, about
6: He's tweeted about Iran quite a bit. It would be good to cover all the president's I would love
1: tweets. to. Great. Thank you very much. Thank but we have, have to much. go now to the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, who has been uh, standing by. He joins us from Burbank this morning. Congressman, thank you for getting up early. Uh, you just heard uh, Congresswoman Cheney there Um when it comes to the issues that she says are about policy, not about race, not about politics. Uh, is that how you hear the com- comments from the president this morning?
7: No, absolutely not. Uh, I think, you know, tragically, the president has decided that racism is good politics. Racism is a good political strategy. There's a reason why he keeps returning to attacking these women of color and the rhetoric that he uses. The the crowd's ugly racist chant didn't materialize, materialize out of nothing. It came from the president's own tweet and words and incendiary rhetoric. Uh, this, of course, wasn't a one-off either. This was the same president who said there were good people on both sides of a neo-Nazi rally. This is who he is, and he thinks it's a winning political strategy. Um, and God help <laughs> us if it is, uh, I think it's a, ver- it's a losing strategy. And I think we're going to see next year what a colossal losing strategy it is. Uh, And we're going to push back every time he engages in this kind of uh, race baiting, racist rhetoric.
1: Do Democrats need to push back more within their own party, though, as uh, the president has said, there are members of it, uh, four of them in particular who he's focusing on, whose language he's characterized as reckless, as anti-Semitic. He has said, do Democrats need to do more to be more careful about their own language?
7: I don't think there's really any equivalence here. Um, We're not, uh, you know, inciting crowds to chant, uh, send them back. This is coming from the president. Uh, And yes, we have a big and diverse caucus and the political views of our caucus are as reflective of uh, the country as they are of our caucus. But that is not uh, in any way equivalent to the kind of racist rhetoric coming out of the White House. Uh, So look, I fully expect our members are going to be very aggressive out there. We have Strong disagreements with this president. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're focused on those disagreements when it comes to providing good paying jobs to people. Issues like minimum wage, like trying to save access to health care. While well, he wants to demonize four women of color uh, and engage in this kind of bile. And, you know, it was such a tragedy last week when we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of one of the greatest achievements in American history, uh, in, in the history, uh, frankly, of uh, humankind, the landing on the moon, that mm-hmm. we see one of the most tawdry moments in our history, right. the president engaging in this kind of behavior. Uh,
1: I want to ask you, because uh, you this week will have a chance to ask questions of Robert Mueller, the special counsel, when he appears and answers questions about that 400-page report he turned in. He's already said he's not going to go beyond those 400-something pages. What is the purpose? What do you actually think you're going to learn?
7: Well, since most Americans, you know, in their busy lives haven't had the opportunity to read that report, and it's a pretty dry prosecutorial work product, uh, we want Bob Mueller to bring it to life, uh, to talk about what's in that report. It's a pretty damning uh, set of facts that involve a presidential campaign in a close race welcoming help from a hostile foreign power, not reporting it, but eagerly embracing it, building it into their campaign strategy, lying about it to cover up, uh, then obstructing an investigation into foreign interference, again, to try to cover up. Uh, That's a pretty damning set of facts that most American people are not familiar with. And of course, the president keeps on trying to deceive them about those facts. But who better to bring them to life than the man who did the investigation himself? We want the people to hear it directly from him, not filtered through Bill Barr, who had his own misleading characterization of it, but from the man who did the work himself.
1: Last year on this program, you said there was a very real prospect that on the day President Trump leaves office that he would be indicted. Uh, The Justice Department, you said, would do that. This week, the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York concluded its investigation into campaign finance, uh, and there were no charges there related to him. It, does this prove your predictions wrong, that this case is closed?
7: Uh, no, not at all. Uh, I mean, it's been clear you know, from Bob Mueller that he felt, and the Justice Department feels bound by this Office of Legal Counsel opinion, that you can't indict a, a sitting president. But he is an essentially unindicted co-conspirator. He's been identified as individual one, as the person who directed Michael Cohen to commit this fraudulent campaign scheme. Uh, And I assume that all this means in terms of the Southern District of New York is that the case will be reopened when he leaves office, providing the statute of limitations has not run, and the Justice Department will have to weigh whether to indict the former president. Uh, From my point of view, if the evidence supports that, he should be indicted. Uh, And uh, it certainly, uh, the the view of the Justice Department is reflected in that indictment that Donald Trump was the one who coordinated and directed that illegal scheme, and why should Michael Cohen go to jail Uh, But the guy who did the direction and the coordination himself of a justice, uh, he is not above the law. He may have a temporary reprieve while he occupies that office. But I think the Justice Department will have to seriously consider uh, reopening the case if that's what it requires and indicting him when he leaves office.
1: You alleged this week that the attorney general, Bill Barr, uh, intervened to stop this investigation or may have done that. Do you have any evidence to support that?
7: Well, I haven't alleged that he did that. Uh, What I have said is that Congress ought to find out and make sure there was no intervention by Bill Barr or main justice uh, to uh, bring about essentially a political closure of that case. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I don't know that that's the case, but one of the concerns that I've had is when Bill Barr testified in the Senate that he believes that the president could have made the Mueller investigation go away anytime he wanted, if he thought it was unfair— uh, it's logical to conclude he also feels the president can make any of these other cases go away if he deems them unfair. Okay. Uh, and and that is not our understanding or anyone else's of the law. The president is not above the law, uh, and we're going to do our oversight to make sure that none of these cases are made to go away to protect the president.
1: All right, Congressman, thank you very much. We'll be back in a minute with Senator Cory Booker.
8: Memories make us laugh and cry, and sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading, and so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies...
1: We turn now to the 2020 presidential campaign and New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. He joins us this morning from Los Angeles. Good morning to
9: you. Good morning. Thank you for having me on.
1: Senator, you compared President Trump to George Wallace, the segregationist Democrat from Alabama. You said the president's own words were a disgusting display of racism and bigotry. Are you accusing the president of being a racist?
9: I'm I'm accusing him of being worse than that. Uh, He is somebody that is using race like a weapon to divide our country against itself. He's been using it since before he became president as a way to uh, accelerate his gaining of political power. And the language he uses is actually language-tired old tropes that have been used by demagogues uh, all throughout our country's history, from the know-nothings who were fighting against Irish and German immigrants, literally using some of the same language, to some of the same tactics that George Wallace was using uh, for his own political power, literally uh, calling his opponents communist and the like. This president is yet another sad chapter. but What we have done all the time as Americans, black and white from different uh, backgrounds, we've always joined together and beaten those demagogues, hate and hate mongers and fear mongers. And I think that's where Donald Trump will be relegated. This this election is not a referendum uh, only on him it 's really a referendum on who we 're going to be and who we 're going to be to each other, and I believe have deep faith in this country 's ability to come together and reject this type of politics but this to the, a to, that issue. Point,
1: to that point, do you think there is any merit to the argument uh, that Democrats need to pr- to police their own ranks that some of these progressive Democrats in the House have been reckless with some of their language
9: i mean if you 're talking about the politics within our party. That's a lot different than someone who literally is calling for people, American citizens, to go home, which is something that has been used as a a racist trope. There's no equivalency here whatsoever. I don't care who says it. People who preach racism and bigotry for their own political power try to slice and divide this country against itself. That is something on a whole different moral plane uh, than anything in the inter- Uh, uh, dynamics of a political party. This is something that all of us, and I I hear this from my Republican friends, this is awful. We need to reject it. We need to move beyond this as a country.
1: But the president has described this strategy, though, as as forcing Democrats like yourself to essentially embrace people on uh, the more liberal side of the party who have said things that he has characterized as anti-Israel, sometimes anti-Semitic. Is this a strategy that is actually effective for the president? Because it's forcing Democrats like you to defend people you may or may not agree with.
9: Look, I will defend anybody, Republican or Democrat, who's attacked because of their color of their skin, because of their religion, because of their ethnicity. That's just who I am. I don't give a damn about the politics of it. Racism is racism. And to say nothing in the face of it is to be complicit in that kind of language. So I don't care about politics. I care about my nation. This is not who we are. We are a place— that has always. I am literally sitting here as a United States senator because Republicans and Democrats stood up in the 1960s and fought for my family's housing rights mm-hmm. and my equal rights. This is our. This is the greatness of our country. It's not what he is evidencing right now, and we have a moral obligation. But forget this, but, politics or political ventures. But the to, politics to of race are
1: also playing out in the Democratic debate stage. Uh, certainly you and Senator Harris have been critical of Joe Biden, the front runner for his past record when it comes to uh, racial issues. So this also seems to be a fault line uh, that can be useful uh, politically for Democrats as well. Do you think that needs to change? Is that the strategy for this next debate? Are you going to get more aggressive on that front?
9: Look, I'm running for president not to use race as a strategy. I'm I'm running for president because we have more African-Americans, for example, under criminal supervision than all the slaves in 1850, that there are real racial realities that we have to deal with, not because of black or white, but because of America. We're a nation where we swear oaths to the ideals of liberty and justice for all. And I know that this is a time where we talk about these things through a political lens, but all of us in this country can, can agree that it's wrong, that there is no difference between blacks and whites for using drugs or dealing drugs, but blacks are almost four times more likely to be Arrested for that. And so, yeah, it is fair. The 1994 crime bill, which put mass incarceration on steroids, and literally that I worked to pass a bill through a divided Congress called the First Step Act to reverse things that were done in that 1994 crime bill. Yeah, I want people like Joe Biden, which he finally did, thank God, stand up and say, I was wrong. That bill did a lot of harm. So to me, this isn't politics. This is standing up and talking about our culture, who we're going to be. What's the soul of America? And and right now, we are in a difficult period where you see violent racial attacks on a rise. Since 9-11, the majority of our terrorist attacks have been right-wing extremists. The majority of those have been white supremacist attacks. And now we have a president that's language is usually actually being used by white supremacists to justify their bigotry and hatred. So this there's a lot of more moral issues going on, and it's not a left-right divide. It's really, again, yet another chapter that we've seen from the know nothings to McCarthyism to Mm -hmm. to George Wallace and and Jim Crow. This is a moment in America, a moral moment where we have to decide who we're going to be. And are we going to confront the institutional racism and the racism being spewed from the most one of the most sacred offices in all of our land? The presidency of the United States,
1: Senator Booker, thank you for joining us. We'll be right back.
10: I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good. With Noom,
1: Welcome back to Face the Nation. We have some new polling on the 2020 campaign. But first, we want to take a look at some results surveying Americans about the president's tweets saying that four House Democrats, quote, go back, to the countries from which they came. Joining us now are CBS News political correspondent Ed O'Keefe and CBS News elections and surveys director Anthony Salvanto. Good to have you both here, Anthony. Uh, this was explosive. It was dominating a week's worth of news headlines. What were voters telling you?
11: Well, at a top line level, you could see what you might have expected, which is partisan splits on this. A majority said that they disliked the tweets, disliked what the president said. Democrats especially called the tweets racist and un-American. But Republicans said the media made too much of it. They thought the tweets were not racist. They thought the tweets were Pro-American. And, you know, you could see some of the political wheels starting to turn, too. The four Democratic congresswomen referenced in the tweets are better known and unpopular among Republicans than they are among the country at large. So, you, Yeah, you start to see maybe the president trying to rile up that base in advance of 2020. But I think if you pull back a second and then look at the context, too, in the poll, Americans told us that they feel like the country is divided along racial lines and that the parties, they think, are almost taking sides in this. Democrats feeling that the Republicans and the president are trying to assert the the interests of white voters over minorities and Republicans feeling that the Democratic Party is trying to assert the interests of minorities over white voters. And so that split starts to define what we're headed into in the 2020 election. And people say that they feel that the parties each represent very different views of what it means to be American. And that's kind of the context going forward.
1: Ed, is this the kind of rhetoric we're going to be hearing through this campaign should we just steal ourselves
3: very well could be and it's the kind of thing that really presents a challenge to democrats Uh, who clearly want to be talking about other issues because they understand that's how the party won congressional control last year by sort of acknowledging the president, but focusing on what they would be for. But this was one of those weeks, this was one of those incidents that they simply couldn't ignore. This morning, Joe Biden is out with a new video that once again amplifies his concerns about the president's rhetoric and how it could be dividing the country. Throughout the week, you heard Democratic candidates out on the trail talking about it. But interestingly, they start calling out the president a little bit for what he's doing here and trying to remind voters that this, there might be some other motives behind this. Amy Klobuchar, for example, repeatedly this past week kept saying he's doing this to distract you. He's doing this to change the subject and keep the focus on him. Instead of the issues we want to be talking to you, the voters, about, whether that's health care, social security, the economy, whatever, uh, has a point about that. And, uh, and it's one that I think Democrats will continue to make.
1: OK, let's get to where the race stands right now. Our CBS News battleground tracker focuses on the 18 early Democratic caucus and primary contests, starting with Iowa and up to and including Super Tuesday. In the aggregate of those early contest states, we're starting to see three distinct tiers in the top one. Former Vice President Joe Biden leads the field with 25 percent of voter support. Senator Elizabeth Warren has 20 percent. And behind her is Senator Kamala Harris with 16 percent. Senator Bernie Sanders rounds out the top tier with 15 percent support. Our second tier has Mayor Pete Buttigieg polling at six percent. Former Congressman Beto O'Rourke at four and former HUD Secretary Julian Castro at two percent. And in that third tier, are all the rest of the candidates who are getting 1% of support in those first 18 contests or less. Anthony, people are overwhelmed by the number of candidates. What do these tiers actually tell us?
11: Well, the way that you define tiers in my mind is you look at the candidates who are in position to get delegates because ultimately that's what this contest is about. They're trying to win delegates to that national convention next summer. Well, you have to get at least 15 percent in a state in order to get some delegates. So that's where I think you see that top tier defined, all those candidates in position to get delegates across these early states. Now, one of the things that's changed since last month when we talked to voters is that Joe Biden still leads, but it's a much tighter race now, particularly in a number of these earlier states, in Iowa, in New Hampshire. I would describe it as very fluid within that top tier. People are considering all of those candidates, even if their first choice at this point remains Biden.
1: And besides delegates and support, it's also about money.
3: It is. It is. And our top tier actually reflects much of what the fundraising uh, shows, with the exception of Pete Buttigieg, who is the top uh, money raiser this past quarter uh, and is still in the mix. The important thing to keep in mind, too, first tier, second tier, all of them got at least 2%. That matters because it qualifies them potentially for the September debate. You have to have at least four polls that show you getting at least 2%. So this is good news for anybody up to Julian Castro. It's terrible news for everybody else.
1: Anthony, what are we seeing in terms of how the candidates are starting to define themselves?
3: Well,
11: start with this. The top issue for Democrats is health care. If there were top three issues, it would be health care, health care, and health care. And that defines a split in the party in the sense that, Joe Biden does better among Democrats who think that they're a little bit skeptical of a Medicare for all plan or they think if there is one that it should at least compete with private insurance. But the more progressive candidates, the Warrens, Harris, Sanders, all do a little bit better with voters who say either replace private insurance or asserting absolutely go with Medicare for all. And I think that the health care issue is starting to define something of a split there in the candidates. Yes, it hues to ideological lines as well. More moderates, where Mm -hmm. Biden does better, more progressives and liberal voters, where the other candidates do better. But that's starting to, to where you start to see that split.
1: But it's cost not the type of coverage. Exactly.
3: And I think that's going to be one of the real defining uh, aspects of this debate going forward, especially into those debates next week. And it's telling that you continue to hear someone like Joe Biden say, I'll fight anyone, Democrat or Republican, who wants to tear apart Obamacare, which is a signal to Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, You want to fight for Medicare for all, I'm going to fight you because the system we have is working. It just needs to be more affordable and expanded.
1: And on the word fight, Anthony, you saw something really interesting here when it comes to perceptions of strength.
11: Yeah, um, we asked which candidate had been the most strong. And Kamala Harris came out on top on that. We asked which candidate would fight a lot. For people like you and Elizabeth Warren and to some extent Harrison Sanders also did better than Joe Biden. So you start to see this difference in what voters are perceiving is passion and enthusiasm. And you start to see that among people who are active on Twitter, active on social media. And that's the more engaged part, the more liberal part of the base. And that's perhaps to be expected This still early stage. But you definitely see splits there, whereas Biden doing better with the moderates
1: anthony and ed thanks very much and all of you can see the full results of our cbs news battleground tracker including state specific polling on our website at cbsnews.com
2: what's your next adventure everyone deserves a chance to do what they love pacific life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones plans change over time and your financial solutions can too That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com.
1: We turn now to our political panel for some analysis. Lonnie Chen is a policy expert and fellow at the Hoover Institution. Rachel Bade covers Congress for the Washington Post. Jamel Bowie is a CBS News political analyst and a columnist with the New York Times. And Paula Reed is a White House correspondent here at CBS. Good to have all of you here. Uh, you heard healthcare, healthcare, healthcare. That's the main issue for all voters. That is not what anyone is talking about this week, Lonnie. We are talking about what the president continued to tweet about this morning uh, racism, the squad, and that dispute. Why is the president continuing it?
8: Well, I mean, I think he f- believes, he feels it's part of an electoral strategy. And I think the, the Trumpification of the Republican Party is complete. And I think you're seeing that in terms of the degree to which he's able to consolidate Republican support and how few Republicans really came out this week and, and took issue with the president's remarks. And I think that demonstrates the degree to which he does consolidate that base. And going forward, the question for the president is, how does he continue to drive up that support amongst his base and potentially expand his base, not to independent voters, not to suburban women, but to the kinds of people who would, uh, you know, sort of enjoy the appeal, this sort of blatant appeal to race that the president's engaging in. And it's all about the 2020 election, and it's all about expanding and consolidating that base.
1: So race is front and center in 2020, Jamal. Um, And the Democratic candidates on the last debate stage made it racial politics front and center as well in the attacks on Joe Biden and his record. Um, Is it dangerous to use this as a
12: political tool? I think it's important to distinguish between what we saw in the democratic stage and what the president's doing. I think what we saw in the democratic stage was an attempt among Democrats to sort of reckon with the legacy of their party's history, um, Joe Biden's history specifically, but largely an attempt to win back certain voters by um, white suburbanites, uh, uh, non-white, non-college white workers, by triangulating on issues like desegregation, uh, on crime, on welfare, and trying to move away from that as the party becomes more diverse, as the party relies even more on African-Americans and Latinos and Asian-Americans, versus what the president was doing is trying to uh, summon up the same kind of fervent energies from the 2016 campaign to drive up support among his base. I think it's important to say that, those kind of remarks are very unpopular with the public at large. Uh, the president saw his approval drop to a not an all time low, but close to it after Charlottesville. Um, the remarks about football players kneeling were not popular. Uh, the Virginia gubernatorial election was practically a lifetime ago in mm-hmm. 2017. But the Republican candidate, Ed Gillespie, suffered at the polls for leaning into those kinds of attacks. So while the president may believe it's effective, the actual evidence on display is that it's probably not that effective for him.
1: But it energizes people, Rachel, right? I mean, it energizes the parties. Uh, and yet you did see some Republicans, as you say, Lonnie, not very vocally, but
13: indicate they weren't totally comfortable with this. Place. Yeah, Put- put Trump aside for a second, and you look at your traditional congressional Republicans. I mean, Liz Cheney in your interview, she might not have wanted to admit it and chose to sort of blame the media, but they really have a problem here. And they have been talking about it privately. It is one thing, uh, and Republicans all agreed, and Democrats would say they did have a strategy here to, to single out these four women and talk about their policies and the fact that they support socialism or socialistic agendas of some sort. Independent voters don't like that, and Republicans could really use that to their advantage. But what Trump did this week is he totally upended this strategy by making it about race, by sending those uh, racist tweets, the the chant that followed, uh, send her back. That, Republicans, they knew that that changed everything. And while they didn't come out publicly and say, Trump, you can't tweet like this, They confronted um, Mike Pence in a private meeting just a few days ago. Liz Cheney was in the room for that where they said, you need to tell the president this is not good for us and this is going to hurt us. And so Pence relayed that to the president. And that's why he tried to put some space between himself and that chant that um, broke out at the rally. Send Mm -hmm. her back. Send her back. But we know the president. We know that sort of he returns to his gut instinct even when people try to pull him back from what he wants to do. So, you know, the question is. How long is he going to try to separate himself from that? And, you know, will he do this again?
1: Well, this morning, the president's tweet was these individuals are incapable of loving this country. Paula, how is the White House handling this?
14: Well, I I don't think anyone here really has a true incentive to tamp this down because both sides are getting the foil that they want ahead of 2020. Now, of course, there are some Republicans, particularly those in vulnerable districts who do not want to be on the defensive, who do not want to be in a position to tamp this down. But even when the president backed off, and our reporting also reflects that the vice president, some of his family members uh, went to him and asked him to distance himself from this, even when he backed off, what did he do by doing that? He kept this in the news cycle. He kept a squad v Trump in the news cycle, in the dialogue. So to, to to your point, it doesn't appear that the White House in the long term will likely change the strategy. I don't expect to see the president actually tell any of his crowds to knock it off with the chanting. Mm-hmm.
1: Jamel, I want to ask you about uh, some of the language, the, the, the so-called squat, these four uh, freshman House Democrats. Normally, someone who's very new to Washington like this wouldn't get so much attention right, from right. the most powerful man in this city. Um, but the words... And that they have used uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez referring to Border Patrol detention centers as concentration camps. Republicans have said that is disrespectful to Jews murdered in the Holocaust. Ayanna Presley, the congresswoman from Massachusetts, uh, she is being called a racist because she said uh, when speaking about elected representatives, we don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. We don't need black faces that don't want to be a black voice. What is happening here? <laughs> um, you know, Republicans are calling that racist. And from Anthony Salvanto's polling, people are only hearing this on political, through a political filter and right. digesting it that way. I mean, I think. But do Democrats really have a problem?
12: So as far as how voters are hearing it, I think part of the the larger issue here is that politics are so partisan and so uh, divided along partisan lines, that it's difficult to sort of for a lot of people to understand things in any sort of context other than the immediate partisan battle, um, and so in that in that sense, if say Representative Presley's remarks get traction, it may be a problem because no one's going to try to hear it in the context that I hear it, which is sort of there's a there's an old proverb that's attributed to Zora Neale Hurston: um, "Not all skin folk are kinfolk, which is the idea that not everyone who looks like you necessarily has your interests in mind. This is a very common thing, very common sentiment within black communities. And that's sort of what I hear from Presley. And Mm it doesn't like strike my ears in a racist way. But in terms of the broader political context, that's going to pop up and what's going to happen and what is happening is sort of, oh, well, she's talking about race. She's talking about what people ought to believe, which is obviously racist. Why is she not being criticized like Donald Trump when there is there are very broad, very different, very broad context for what's happening from both figures. And that's hard to communicate within the, the very narrow world of partisan
13: politics. This is another reason why Republicans were really frustrated when Trump tweeted last week, because if you let the Democrats sort of have their infighting, you know, Republicans on the Hill had loved that. You mentioned this Presley quote specifically I guarantee that would have dominated coverage on Capitol Hill for at least a week with um, congressional black caucus members who were really upset by that quote. But Trump instead, his tweet united the Democratic Party and in this infighting that we have seen uh, sort of spill out on Capitol Hill and really create a problem for Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Um, that was all put in the background. But the Democrats do have an issue in that, you know, these four really are defining uh, what people are reading in the news around the country. And Pelosi wants to keep the focus on health care. She doesn't want to talk about Medicare for all. Uh, She doesn't want to talk about socialism. That's not good for Democrats. But again, Trump totally change the narrative. I think
8: think that's the fundamental problem, is that Democrats have a little bit of this power vacuum that comes when you have a party that's out of power from the White House. And the question becomes a definitional one, which is, who speaks for the Democratic Party? Well, the answer right now is the squad. It is not Nancy Pelosi, who is doing her best to hold together a disparate caucus. It is not, interestingly enough, the presidential candidates. You would think in a presidential cycle it would be one of those candidates. They're doing their thing. But the polling reflects that the, the messaging and the policy Dialogue, mm-hmm. is being dominated by these four people who are vastly uh, unrepresentative of the kinds of voters Democrats need to win if they want to win this presidential election. So they have a real problem, in my mind, in this disconnect between who's speaking for the Democratic Party now and how Americans see Democrats and what they need to be to win that next presidential election.
1: We're going to take a break here. Congress is about to go on summer break, so I want to talk about what they actually might get done uh, on the other side of this. We'll be back in a few moments.
2: Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to a sleep number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a sleep number bed. Sleep Number Beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed. Find your competitive edge with proven, quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number.
1: We're back now with our political panel Uh, this week in Washington. It may be must see TV or maybe America forgot about that two year long investigation, Paul Reed, uh, led by the special counsel, Robert Mueller, into Russian election meddling in 2016. He will be forced in many ways to answer questions. This isn't an appearance he wanted to make. What do Democrats actually think they're going to hear
14: from him and what is he prepared to say? It was so interesting to hear Schiff saying he wants him to bring the Mueller report to life. I'm not sure what that what that equates to uh, the audio version of the (laughs) Mueller report. But anyone who thinks that this is going to sizzle or be entertaining or really reveal uh, new things about this investigation, sadly mistaken. As you said, this is a reluctant witness. Special counsel Robert Mueller is just not that into us. The media, he only engaged in about two instances in the entire course of his investigation investigation, and he made it clear in his prepared remarks. He said, I hope this is the last time I have to talk about this. So in the course of the several hours where he will be answering questions, he is likely to stick to his report to not want to go beyond the confines of that report. One area, though, I think where Democrats could potentially uh, make some progress is on Attorney General William Barr to clarify the discrepancy before, between the former uh, special counsel and the attorney general, because that's not in the report itself. That all happened after. Barr testified he wasn't sure if Mueller agreed with his conclusions. But Mueller sent him a letter. Mm-hmm. He called him. So I do think there is the opportunity to maybe undermine the credibility of the attorney general. But Republicans also have a huge opportunity here to address the origins of this investigation. They don't even need Mueller to say anything. Just rereading those text messages between Lisa Page and, and Peter Strzok undermines the cre- credibility of not only this investigation, but also the Clinton email one uh, from the FBI.
1: Yes. To refresh people's memories. Uh, Rachel, Jerry Nadler um, was on television, the House Judiciary Chairman, saying that there is clear evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors Mm -hmm. and talking about what he expects from Mueller. Those are clear words as to what he has in mind. Is
13: this all about laying groundwork for impeachment? For some Democrats, absolutely. And that's where there's actually a division going into this hearing about what do Democrats actually want to get out of this? I mean, the leadership, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who is against the idea of impeaching the president, they are hoping that Mueller comes in and sort of lays out some of these instances of potential obstruction of justice and that people see that it hurts Trump's poll numbers. Um, And, you know, only about three percent of Americans actually read the report. So she's hoping that people learn and this hurts Trump in 2020 now. People like Jerry Nadler, who he hasn't come out publicly for impeachment, but privately he has been pushing the leadership to start. Um, and about 90 other Democrats in the House who have called for impeachment to begin, they want this to be sort of a watershed moment to see the number of Democrats who support impeachment actually grow and potentially even independents who are on the fence on this to come around to their side of thinking. Now, there's a lot um, of skepticism that that is going to happen. But the fact that Jerry Nadler is going on TV and saying that uh, – he is thinking Mueller's going to lay out high crimes and misdemeanor shows that Nadler is getting closer to that point, even as the Democratic leadership is not. Could this backfire, Jamel?
12: I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think it's I think it's that clear. We're kind of in uncharted territory here. We haven't had um, you know, the, the last impeachment uh, controversy trial in the 90s was in a happening in a very different political context which a with a much more popular president um, a, a growing economy that the president was getting credit for uh, and so in that then impeachment did hurt the opposition party but here the president is manifestly unpopular the uh, what he 's accused of um, these are I think there, there is an appetite on some Republicans in the public willing to say that the president has has uh, violated norms and standards here. And um, it's entirely possible that pursuing impeachment in this particular instance uh, could end up worsening Trump's position versus backfiring against Democrats. But again, I don't I think it's difficult mm-hmm. to say because this is a unique situation. There aren't very many. Uh, guides in the past for understanding what is going to happen going forward. And Lonnie,
1: this is one of the last things that happens before Congress goes on summer vacation. (laughs) Uh, Policy-wise, anything? in the future?
8: Well, we have the debt ceiling. And, you know, again, this is sort of like the Washington, uh, let's go up to the cliff every couple of years because we can't stand stability. Let's figure out a way to compromise economic growth and let's figure out a way to compromise everything that potentially is going right with the economy. So they're going to have to figure out the debt ceiling. Some are saying it's going to be in the context of a larger budget deal. Now, that budget deal potentially, I think, exposes fractures on the Republican side, right? Because you have some fiscal conservatives like the current White House chief of staff who believe that that fiscal responsibility element is extremely important. Some even suggest the president's there, too, that he might want to go there in a second term. And then you've got a lot of Republicans who say, forget fiscal responsibility. It's not popular. Nobody cares about it anymore. So why worry about it? So those divisions, I think, are going to be very real. Mm -hmm. And clearly, it's to the benefit of the president to keep this situation uh, put off until after the election. So there is huge incentive to get a deal done. All
1: right. Thanks to all of you. That's it for us today. Thank you all for watching. Until next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney, Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff, and Democratic Senator Cory Booker, a 2020 presidential contender. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Hi, this is
6: Jill Schlesinger, CBS News Business Analyst, Certified Financial Planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast